You're listening to a sermon audio from Cypress Church. You can listen to more sermons on our website or by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. We hope you enjoy the sermon and invite you to attend one of our services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Wonderful thing, and uh, thanks for, uh, uh, missed you guys last week. Thanks for the t- time off. I had a chance to spend time with my mom on Mother's Day, and she's been, it's been kind of a crazy couple of weeks for the McKay family. Uh, my mom's been kind of in and out of the hospital, then in rehab, she's still there, but she's doing a lot better. And um, then this past uh, week, uh, we, uh, cre- yeah, I, uh, my new little grandson there, that's Nels Price Kugelberg. Isn't he just <laughs> so doggone cute? I could stare at that all day. I'm wondering what the caption should be. These are not the droids you're looking for. Um, but uh, uh, not only that was Nels born, but the, the evening before that, or the night before that, Christy graduated uh, with her master's degree, which excited about that. And, and, and a week, yeah, and a week before that, um, uh, my son Josh uh, just started as a youth pastor at Bridges Church in Long Beach, and so he's now a full-time uh, um, uh, youth pastor there, so excited for him. And then Nels was born early Saturday morning, and it was a little bit scary. It was an emergency cesarean, and yet God worked out all that whole thing. And so our whole family was like, woo! And Christy was excited about her graduation, so much so that she leaped up in the air, but her body went one way and her arms went the other, and she separated a rib um, or something like that. So she's at home, but she's on drugs, so she's really happy. <laughs> So it's been kind of, and then if that's not all, um, I'm finishing up, or not finishing up, I'm just starting my doctoral program, and so I'm just finishing up my last assignments, and so I'm a little, you know, blurry-eyed with typing all night long and stuff like that, so just bear with me as you come this morning, and so take your Bibles (laughs) and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Uh, uh, we'll be looking at verses 24 to 27, and if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are coming down the aisle, they have a Bible in their hand. They're willing to let you loan, loan it. And, uh, and uh, by the way, I just saw Stan. It's Stan's birthday today. Stan Markowski's birthday today. Happy birthday, Stan. You guys are really enthusiastic with your clapping. Hello. I thought this song, you know, what a friend. We, some of you were trying to stomp your feet and clap at the same time. It just was not working. That's okay. I can't chew gum and walk at the same time either. It's just a little different. But ushers have those Bibles. Also, take out the... Um, your notes out of your worship folder, there's that insert with the blanks in there. The answers will be up on the screen. I encourage you to jot down some notes. And like I always do, I mention a bunch of other verses. And <clears throat> you're welcome to try to write them all down, or you can just, at the end of the service, pick up one of these study sheets or at the Community Life Group desk. Because on the back of them, they have all the answers, all the fill in the blank answers, and all the verses. And I may even throw out a few extra ones today just for fun. Uh, but also on the other side is our study page. It's a, you can use it for individual study, or <clears throat> many of our life groups use it for a life group study and I encourage you with that. If you don't have a life group, uh, I encourage you to get in one. Uh, you can go back to the life group desk and, uh, and sign up for one or get involved in one. If you want to just try one out, we have one that meets here Thursdays at, or excuse me, Tuesdays at 7 o'clock. If you come Thursdays, they won't be here. Tuesdays at 7 o'clock right here. I help lead that group and love to spend time with you there, but uh, I encourage you with that. Now, I don't know if you have uh, noticed, uh, but there's been a whole lot of tragedies in our world these days. Have you noticed that? Uh, from the earthquakes in Nepal to tornadoes in the Plain States to the flooding in Oklahoma to train wrecks in Philadelphia and the terrorist activities in Pakistan and all over. And yet, in all this news, uh, as we're watching this and, you know, kind of the shock and awe of that, we're hoping for that one story. 
You know what that one story is. That It's that one story where there's victory, where there's a, a, a victory of someone rescued. Uh, like with the, the earthquakes in Nepal, uh, a four-month-old child was pulled from the rubble, rubble 22 hours after the first quake. And if that wasn't all, uh, in, in that same quake, uh, Pemba Tamang, age 15, was rescued five days after the quake. We love stories like that. We love those rescue stories. They, they bring hope and relief that there is victory even in the most devastating tragedies. That one person was saved. That one person was rescued. Now, I'm sure that some of you probably have your own story of rescue. Uh, there was actually one time that I was rescued. Uh, it was <laughs> actually when I was a youth pastor. Um, we were taking a trip, uh, actually a canoeing trip down a river. And, you know, I made sure everything was all safe. I'd talked to all the guides and everybody had their life vests on. And everybody was safe. And as a matter of fact, I wanted to make sure everybody was even more safe. So we rented a motorboat to go up and down the river to make sure everybody was just fine. Well, um, the, the guide said, now you've got to make sure you turn in at this one inlet. There's a really big sign there. No, no one can miss it. And, but if you go past that sign, you'll be swept downstream to some other state. So I thought, okay, well, I'm, I said I'd go first because I didn't know what the sign looked like and I wanted to make sure all my youth were safe. So I, I couldn't see the sign and so I actually rode past it and then I realized as I looked back, I saw the back of the sign. So I, I parked myself on the other side of the river on a bank and just told all the students to go this way. And I didn't worry about that because I knew we had a motorboat. And that motorboat would come pick me up and we would go. So as a day went by, I was, you know, moving the students this way and they were having a blast, splashing each other and stuff like that. And they all got there and um, got onto the right inlet. And so I just said, well, you know, tell Don, who was driving the boat, to come pick me up. I'll be waiting here. And I also have my daughter with me, Jamie, who had just had Nelson, but not then. It was a long time ago. And another youth staff was with me. So we were waiting there and, and we were waiting and waiting and it started to get dark and i'm thinking where is don with our motorboat well um i found out later that he ran out of gas um so he was parked at the side of the river waiting for uh uh, he decided to hunker down for the night so here i was on this other bank of the river and i and the river was going really fast at this time and i thought oh my gosh i'm gonna have to row across the river but, you know, it's across the river and then try to pull up to the reeds. And so we did that and we, we got swept down about a mile down there and we had to kind of pull up to, to this. We finally got to what I thought was the inlet, but it's pitch black now. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm out here on the river with my daughter and the youth staff. And um, I don't know what I don't even know where to go. And uh, uh, all of a sudden I saw the the lights of the of the Rangers boat saved uh there was victory uh he reached out his hand and pulled us up to the boat and it was a a wonderful time um uh we were taken to safety made it back to camp it was great but it was a trip those students (laughs) they'll never forget they actually thought i was dead so they'd even called home mike's dead (laughs) one person uh rob todd was uh, I came up to Christy? Oh, Mike's dead! Mike's dead! And I go, How, what? I, I just talked to him on the phone because I had called the church and letting him know everybody was safe. If anybody calls, it's all fun. Anyways, but uh, but what if I had um, refused to get rescued? Uh, if I had said um, I didn't need help, that somehow I would do it on my own, uh, that would have been silly and rather foolish of me. 
Yet the truth is we are all on an unfortunate current, uh, a consistent current that is pulling us eventually to our destruction. You know that scene that you see where the river is going, there's a waterfall coming. Yet there can be victory, uh, a way to be rescued, and even experience victory in the midst of some turbulent waters in life through one who has the best rescue record ever. He saved three men from an inferno. He rescued many from shipwreck. He liberated those unjustly held captive. He's recovered many from the clutches of a great enemy. And he has given victory to the weak and heavy laden. And he has given hope and healing and victory to many of you in this room. We know him as Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, Emmanuel, the Good Shepherd, the Bread of Life, Deliverer, Redeemer, Savior, and what a friend we have in Jesus. And as there is, and there is a, a reviving victory in the resurrected Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 to 27, Paul gives us three truths to embrace victory in the resurrected Jesus. Great truths to put our trust in and to live victorious regardless of the strong currents of life. Truths that we can apply right now, but also in the future. Truths that are already, but not yet fully experienced. Victories now and victories later. And as the Apostle Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 15, he uses language that speaks of this victory in the resurrected Jesus that has already taken place because of his resurrection, but not fully yet. And so this morning, I'd like for us to explore this passage as we reach out to our rescuer and experience that reviving victory brought on by our resurrected Lord. So before we get into this, set your books aside and stand up for a moment and let's pray. Would you pray with me? Father God, we know that we're not here by accident. And Lord, we know that you want us to hear this message today. You have something for us individually today. Or maybe there's a one or two here like last service who are going to reach out to grab a hold of their rescue for the first time. Or maybe there'll be many others, Lord, who will reach out and, and, and quit trying to save themselves but depend upon you. So God, teach us and challenge us and move us, we pray. In your son's name, amen. Have a seat and hopefully you got your outline out there and you can jot down some notes. And again, don't forget to pick up the study page afterwards. But three truths to embrace victory in the resurrected Jesus. The first truth is Jesus' resurrection annuls evil influences. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul recounts the truth of the resurrection. He talks about the eyewitnesses in the beginning of the chapter, that, that even though people had saw Jesus be crucified, be declared dead by the Roman army, he was dead, taken down, put in a tomb, left there, people saw him alive. Three days later, people saw him alive. Whether it was on the road to Emmaus or other places, the disciples all saw him, and over 500 people at one time saw Jesus alive. It is a fact Jesus rose from the grave. Amen. And he's alive. Paul points that out, that, that the resurrection is real. You can trust in it. And if you trust the resurrection is real, then everything Jesus says is true. And not only that, there's the evidence of changed lives. 
Paul recounts some of those changed lives in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, he says, James, the brother of Jesus, who initially doubted that Jesus was who he said he was, came to faith. That changed life is verification that Jesus is real. Peter, the same way, he, he denied Jesus. But then after he saw Jesus alive, turned his life over to him and led the church. And then the apostle Paul, he says he's the least of all of these was actually persecuting the church. Saw Jesus on that road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and, and he gave his life to him. And his changed life is again verification. Jesus is real. And many of you have experienced that same reality in your own life and you say, yes, Jesus is real. And you know it for sure. And that's verification that Jesus is alive and his word is truth. And it verifies all of Jesus' teaching to be true. And Jesus taught that, that God is amazing, supreme, sovereign, righteous, and holy. And that God desires a, a relational connection with us. Jesus also taught that though people were created in the image of God, that we are not holy, we are not righteous. That because of our sin, Adam said in the beginning, We've been separated from God. We've been, we're stuck on that current of life that's leading towards destruction. Unholy, unrighteous, sinful, and left to be taken by the current of a fallen world into the perilous waters like isolation and fear and insecurity and unrest. No peace, no purpose, no direction. Left crushed, beaten down, and defeated. And yet, as Jesus preached and taught God provided a rescuer, a redeemer, himself, who gives us victory now, but the full victory is yet to come. And all we need to do is to reach out in faith to our rescuer. See, the truth is, all humanity is in that current, being taken down to that waterfall of destruction, of complete separation from God. All of us are in that. And yet, Jesus says, I will rescue you, and he reaches out his hand to us. And all we have to do is reach our hand in his and he will pull us out of that destructive flow. And we may face some of the pressure of the current, but yet he saves us. It's nothing we do. And that's the, the message of the gospel, the good news, is that we have a rescuer, somebody who wants to rescue us. Doesn't just let us flow on down into this destruction. He actually wants to rescue us and actually give us the life he intended to give us one that's full and abundant. And all we need to do is reach out to him. Many of you have done that. But when rescued, we experience victory over the perilous waters of life. Romans eight thirty seven. No, in all these things, we are more than conquer conquerors through him, Jesus, who loves us. This is what Paul was getting at in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, around verse 20. I want you to, to open to there. 1 Corinthians chapter 20. We'll get to 24 in a moment, but first look at verse 20. It says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. That's, called, that's talking about the second coming. But first fruits means a type of, a, a sample, an archetype that, 
that as Jesus was revived after the resurrection, we'll be revived as we trust and believe in him. Believing in who he is and, and what he has done and, and his way of life. And in a time we will come to receive those resurrected bodies like Christ at the time of the rapture and the resurrection there. As Jesus as Je- Jesus has the first fruits, the type of person to experience victory over evil influences means we can too. Jesus' resurrection is an inauguration of him as king. He is in power. And because he is in power, he is annulling, canceling, ending, terminating evil's influence in our lives. The current no longer has any pull on us. Listen to Paul as he explains this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, now verses 24 and 25, that Jesus' resurrection annuls evil influences. Then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Jesus' resurrection does annul evil influences now, even as evil influences continue to pull on us. Yet, there is coming a time when that current will stop. It's not yet, but it soon will be. In the meantime, we are to put our faith in our rescuer, to reach out and to grab a hold of him and experience that victory. Two ways, taken from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 23. So if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians. You're in 1 Corinthians, go 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. How do we put our faith in our rescuer Jesus? First way found in verse 17. It says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So how do we put our faith in our rescuer Jesus? Is to know Jesus. To learn how faithful and reliable and trustworthy he is. To read his word, his revelation of himself. And not only that, but to hear other story of him. And the reason we need to know him is because we, need to, we don't automatically have a great understanding of God. And we need to grow in our knowledge of him, who he is like and what he has done. But, but in knowing that, it, it helps understand that, that he is a lot larger than we see. And we need to know how large God is because when we face these uh, swift currents, these monumentous, monumentous, monumentous? Is that even a word? <clears throat> yes, whatever. Uh, these huge issues in life. We need to know that God is bigger. See, if our, our image of God is this small, weeny little God who's kind of powerless, when a huge problem comes up, well, yeah, we try to fix it ourselves because we really think God can't do that. But yet as we grow in our understanding of how an amazing and wonderful and huge and awesome and big and limitless that God is, those problems all of a sudden just say, ooh, they shrink down. Cancer is huge, but God is bigger. We lose our job, that's huge, but God is bigger. Our marriage falls apart, that's devastating, but God is bigger. 
And when we understand how huge and awesome God is, yes, we still face the swiftness of the current, but as we put our hand in our rescuer and trust in his character, who he is, an amazing peace floods over our life. I knew that that ranger could save us. I had faith in him. And I jumped right into his boat. Whoo, saved. (laughs) Why don't we do that with Jesus? Partially because we don't know how amazing he is. We need to know him. Let me read on, verses 18 to 23, the next one. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Towards us who believe. Hang on to that. According to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Boy, if you have your own Bible, just circle the word all or every in there. See, we need to not only know Jesus but we need to know what Jesus has done and the victory he has made over all evil, over all authorities, over all problems and issues and everything in life. He has disarmed the devil. Colossians 2, 15 speaks of that. He has declawed and defanged the enemy. He can't get to you anymore as you believe. Sure, we face the struggles of sin, but he, he's lost all of his power. He's been disarmed. Jesus is, has dominated evil. Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 9 talk about that. The enemy has no position of authority in our life any longer. Jesus has dethroned evil. The enemy has no say in what we do. As 1 Peter 3 18 to 22 in James 4, 7 talk about Jesus has victory in all of that. And because of his victory, we have victory. And how we engage this victory, how, we, how evil influences are annulled is by trusting in who Jesus is and what he has done. Remember Ephesians, it says, who believe. Belief is that trust in our rescuer, reaching out and saying, I trust you enough to save me out of this mess. And to believe that he truly has disarmed, dominated, and dethroned evil. It's nothing we do. What we do is to believe. The question is, do you? See, it's it's not going to church. It's not following a set of rules. It's not in, well, I got to get someone to help me. No, it's, it's in Jesus That's where the true help is going to be found. So much so we search for somewhere else to get the help that only Jesus can. It doesn't mean we don't try to deal with our issues and and get a little help here and there, but for, for the deeper need, we go to Jesus. For all of need, we go to Jesus and he fills those needs in our life. 
The problem is not in Jesus many times, it's in us. In who and what we hold as an influence. They are those things or people we are loyal to over Jesus, give allegiance to over Jesus, delight in over Jesus, hold as a high affection over Jesus. See, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve two masters. You will love one, hate the other, be faithful to one, and disloyal to the other. Now, <clears throat> we know these masters are idols by how they take over our hearts and our imagination. Those are the things, these idols and things that have master over us are things that we expend most of our resources and energies on. Looking for them to give us only what God can. Identity, security, fulfillment, significance. So important are these idols and these masters that if they were gone, life would be meaningless. It could be a sport, a hobby, being right, being in charge, being liked, wealth, status, family, a spouse, a problem, a medical condition, a tragedy, a victory, work, busyness. And as Tim Keller says, our hearts are an idle factory. <laughs> we constantly have them pop up in our lives. And the only way to keep them out of the idle category is to trust in the power of our rescuer, Jesus. Now, now like all of us, I have and do struggle with my own idols. One the Lord is helping me deal with is the idol of not having a dad. I grew up in an alcoholic family and dad was rarely there. I mean, there are fun, some fun things that we did, but uh, you know, basically when my folks split up, he abandoned my brother and I and, and we had to kind of fend for ourselves. He showed up every now and then. But I've held on to that hurt, on to that lack of a father. And yeah, that, that issue in my life did shape me. Unfortunately, it's God who shapes me and he can reform me. But I hang on to that. I don't know why exactly I hang on to that. Probably some weird psychological reason. I just want to hang on to the pain. Um, I want to hang on to that. Maybe it gives me excuse for some of my actions. Well, you know, I did have a dad. So, uh, but I hang on to that. And because of that, I have felt less. Um, I've idolized perfect fathers. But a while back, the Lord pointed out, Mike, that's an idol. It's taking over a lot of your thought. It's, you're looking to that and the fulfillment of that to meet something that only I can do. So I gave it to him. And I realized I was not fully believing and trusting in his word. Psalm 68, verse 5, that he is the father to the fatherless. And I had to put my hand in the hand of my rescuer and say, I really believe that. And you know, when I, it, it didn't change. All of a sudden, I didn't have this uh, amazing experience and you know, the lights went on, the angels, ah, and everything was all peachy keen. I still have that hurt in me, that, that bruise. But what's different now is that there's a, a sense of 
unique working in my life where there's a trust in him. And as I look back in my life, I see, oh, God provided this man to be like a dad to me. God provided this man to be like a dad to me. God provided this man. And all my life, God has provided. He has been my heavenly father. He's been there every step of the way. It's difficult. I'm sure I grieve and deal with it at times, some more than others, but I know the Heavenly Father loves me more and is still my real dad. So ask the Holy Spirit. Take that moment. That's where the brave wrestling of faith happens. When you say, is there any idol in me? Most of the times it comes through things that we're frustrated with. We're frustrated why we didn't get recognized for this issue. We're frustrated because this person didn't say this to me. We're frustrated because this certain thing didn't happen or is happening. Or <clears throat> In those frustrations, ask the Holy Spirit. He will guide you. John 16, 13 says He will guide you into all truth. He will expose those idols as you place your trust in Him. Now the enemy's crafty. He will even manipulate good things like family and a great job and ministry and church and a spouse and kids and grandkids and our nice things. He will manipulate them into idols. The enemy will use them in our life for his evil purposes, which to get our trust off of Jesus and onto anyone or anything else. But this evil influence is annulled. It's canceled. It's negated, rendered ineffective when we reach out in trust of Christ and Christ alone. We will experience victory when we do as we reach out in trust to our rescuer. The question is, do you believe? Do you believe in King Jesus' reign? Do you believe in His word? We, we are to embrace Jesus' victorious reign for not only is evil vanquished, but Jesus' resurrection rearranges our eternity. Take your Bibles and go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now looking at that verse 26, but let me read verse 25 again. For he, Jesus, must reign until he has put all, this, all his enemies under his feet. In verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death was not God's will, but sin brought on death. Paul spoke of this at the end of this chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 in verses 55 to 57 when he says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, there is victory over death because of Christ. The truth is, People do still die and death still has a sting. But here again, Paul is talking about two things at once. Jesus' resurrection provides and proves we will one day be resurrected like Jesus, but not yet. But as we put our faith in our rescuer, Jesus, we are saved now and will live eternally with him starting right when you receive the Lord and on into eternity. Ephesians 1 Verses 13 and 14 explain it this way. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. See, at the time by faith you believe in Jesus, you were given the Holy Spirit as a certificate of adoption, proof positive that you have been saved, that only, that only, that only verifies our connection with God, but also proves protection and provision until heaven. We are guarded by the Holy Spirit, as 1 Peter uh, 1, 5 says. We are, we are, uh, the, the Spirit is our witness that we have been saved, as, as Romans 8 talks about. And there is evidence of this. In all the life-giving qualities the Spirit develops in our life, the fruit of the Spirit, as Galatians 5, 22 and 23 say, that as we move in faith and trust in our rescuer and we begin to trust him for our with our whole life and live life his way in obedience, we begin to start showing the signs of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Against such things there is no way to develop them in the godly way outside of ourselves, in ourselves. It's with Jesus only and his spirit working in us. So death is no longer working its evil in our lives. Actually, the life-giving, thriving nature of the Spirit is at work. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, we talked about Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and 19. that talks about the Spirit working in our inner being, rooting and grounding us and teaching us all the life-giving, life-thriving truths of Jesus right inside of us. We need to spend a little bit more t- attention on the inward part of us than the outward part. So much so, we're worried about how we look and how we act and all that kind of thing. We need to look inside. And where is our trust? Is our trust truly in Christ, in our rescuer? For death is destroyed. And in the very end, as the Revelation chapter 21, verse 4 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. But even now, Jesus brings life if we would trust in our victorious rescuer. <clears throat> Jesus can bring life to our grief, vitality to the drone of life, peace to our stress, and healing to our hurts. Victory does not come anywhere else. He alone rearranges eternity that we are experiencing now and yet even more to come. The question is, will you trust in him? See, Jesus' resurrection gives victory, annulling evil, rearranging our eternity, but also Jesus' resurrection releases sin's grip. Look at verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 15. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet, but when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. It's expected. Yes, everything is subordinate under and submissive to Jesus' authority. He is in dominion over all things, as, as Psalm 8, 6 says. And it's 8, 6 declares. And when we turn in faith towards him, something amazing happens. A, a new ruler in life is brought in and everything changes. Sin's grip is released. Romans 6:14 puts it this way if sin will have no dominion over you, sin will have no dominion over you since 
you are not under the law, but under grace. Not under the, the law where you have to do all these religious duties to get next to God. No, under grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's, it's because of Jesus offering us that hand of rescue simply because he can and he wants to. So believe in this truth. You do not have to go with sin's pull. Romans 6, 11 and 12. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to obey their passions, but obey God. Follow his will and his way. Don't go with the current. Reach out to the grace of our rescuer. Yes, it's tough when everybody else is going with the current, even confused followers of Jesus, gossip and slander and cheat at work and are prideful and view pornography and worship the idol of self. But as Romans 6.13 says, do not present your members to sin. Do not present the areas of your life and your talents and who you are to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God, to those who have been brought from death to life and your members, the parts of your life, your talents to God as instruments for righteousness. And I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Many of you have memorized this. For, it says, For no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not tempt you beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, always provide a way out. There is always a way out from sin's grip. But each of us have to strain with faith to reach out to our rescuer. The question is, will you? Jesus is the reigning king. No power is stronger than him. Will you trust him? It takes belief. Belief is the trust in that that rescuer can rescue you. And it says, okay, I'm going to get into his boat. I'm going to get into his way of life. I'm just going to jump in. That's what it means to believe. And that means we have to surrender. Surrender our will and way that we can rescue ourselves. I'm going to get myself out of it, pull myself up by the bootstraps. I'm going to fix this situation. It means we surrender to Jesus. And that requires obedience, the willingness to follow what he says. That obedience <clears throat> is a way of, of moving with Christ in his direction. And that takes humility. That's where the victory is found. You know, we all love those victorious stories of rescue. The question is, have you been rescued and revived by the resurrected Jesus? For Jesus' resurrection annuls evil influences. Jesus' resurrection rearranges our eternity and Jesus' resurrection releases sin's grip. You know, maybe you <clears throat> have not yet made that initial faith grab to experience the victory of being rescued. And I want to challenge you, even in this moment, we're going to have a moment of prayer. I encourage you to, to grab a hold of Jesus. It's taking all you know of him now and all you know of yourself that you're sinful and need a savior and say, I I believe. I'm going to trust in Jesus. And you in your own words can pray that to God and talk to him. And I encourage you if you do, like what happened last service, just write your name on a card and a way to contact you. And we'll contact you and talk to you this week and come up and give it to me or one of these people who are standing around for prayer. <clears throat> and they'll get the card and we'll come talk to you and, and encourage you and pray and give you some materials and faith. Others of you may have started this faith journey and yet the it, victory seems a distant reality and you've been trying to rescue yourself, why not release yourself and let the one who has a flawless record of victorious rescues help you?
It's that, God, I'm going to stop trying. I'm going to stop looking for other things to, to satisfy what only you can. And I'm just going to jump into your boat and rescue me from this issue, issue, from this frustration. Yeah, I know it's going to be hard to deal with some of my idols, but I want you to rescue me. I'm quit trying to rescue myself. In this time of prayer, I encourage you to, to take time with God. Let me pray for you, and then we'll have that moment of prayer. Father, thank you for just the wonderful opportunity that we have to hear your word and be challenged once again with the reality that you are our rescuer. And Lord, I'm asking that you meet with us this moment. As we spend this time in reflection, God, that you will challenge maybe that one or two or more that needs to reach out for the first time and and grab a hold of you, that they would do that. And Lord, you guide even how to pray. And then give them the boldness to come talk to somebody. And, And Lord, the rest of us, Lord, some of us are trying too hard. We think to be rescued is some other thing, being healed from this issue, this person helping us, this situation not to be there, and yet the rescue is in you and you alone. Lord, help us to to trust in your word enough. It is enough. Help us to discover that reality, and in this time, Lord, even guide us in that prayer, we pray in your son's name. Amen.